All right, welcome. This is the Half Moon podcast featuring Dr. Mark Decker, and we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, audience and about email communication. And uh, before we get started with the content of the podcast, wanted to just take a, a brief minute to talk to Dr. Decker um, and introduce him to everyone and talk a little bit about uh, his background. And um, I think, Mark, you've been speaking up for us probably for probably at least five or six years now. Um, off, off and on for about 10. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, uh, there was it, it didn't really pick up uh, until maybe the middle of the last decade. But I did. Um, I think I did one in like uh, 2012. <laughs> wow. That has been longer. You know, time does yeah. go away. And that was back when you would travel around uh, the country and we did live in person programs. Yes. Yes. So which, which, which I miss. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we can get back to doing some of those again. Um, cause they, yeah, if, if I could just skip ahead to the, you know, the webinars coming up, I do like doing the webinars. So if any, any one of the listeners, uh, uh, goes to the webinar, the difference between a webinar and a live session, I feel like the students were much more eager to like interrupt me and ask questions. <laughs> Because the the webinar is is very much like uh, okay here is uh, my technical writing class that I teach at Bloomsburg University in one day geared towards architects and engineers but if if the attendees want me to to modify things I can you know I just I don't know what I'm rolling into until the the webinar or seminar starts and it seems like the seminar attendees their hands would just go up in the air hey what about this. And that rarely happens at the webinar. And I, that's what I miss the most. I, I will ask you now, you said um, you work, uh, you're on the faculty at Bloomsburg University. Are you guys all back in person now? Yeah, we've we've been in, in person uh, for a while, um, uh, fully in person for about a year, um, maskless for probably um but this is the first semester where we were fully maskless. Spring semester, the masks would kind of go off and on depending on the the risk level in the in the community that we're in. But yeah, we we've been back and it's it's good to be back. That's great. And yeah, we're hoping to to get back there as well. And, and the webinars are nice. Um both learning methods have their have their mm-hmm. advantages and um and certainly the podcasts are nice because this is something people are going to be able to uh, listen to at at their convenience and pick up a little bit and some some tips and some tidbits that uh, should be interesting to them. Yes. Yes. So um, if it's if it's all right with you, we we can we've got some things to talk about and um, you're you very graciously agreed to to help us out with uh, some issues involving uh, some, and these are some things that you've noticed. I think you told me during your, um, your sessions that you've taught for us that people have had particular interest yeah. in. Yeah, and my, what I, I tend to get questions about in, in both settings, uh, face-to-face and, and online, 
is is talking to to non-experts of one variety or another and and so uh today we're going to talk about email uh at, at length because in when we correspond with people that's the most likely time that even myself as an educator i, I talk to um to students sometimes with permission to parents to you know they, they don't i have to i have to adjust my message as well so this isn't just <laughs> you know, for, for architects and engineers. Any any specialized training uh, means that you're gonna interact with people who don't have that training, who need to uh, need to communicate with you. And I'm gonna back up a little bit and I'm gonna talk about sentence complexity and, and I'm going somewhere with this, trust me. It's, oh, the English professor is gonna make us diagram sentences. No, 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 no. But I do want you to remember when you diagram sentences, and just remember the four types of sentences. And this, again, I'm going somewhere. There's a simple sentence. That's just a subject, a verb, and an object. Uh, then there's a compound sentence, which is two simple sentences joined by a coordinating conjunction uh, and or for those, uh, those conjunctions. Then there's a complex sentence, which is a simple sentence with some kind of a qualifier. Uh, you know, I go to the store is a simple sentence. Um, then if, if it was, I go to the store when I am hungry, that when I am hungry is, is a, a qualifying, you know, a phrase that makes it a complex sentence. And then you can have a compound complex sentence, which are two complex sentences compounded. Um, and then you can get some really long sentences that don't, <laughs> that won't really work if I'm just speaking them out. And so the, the reason I'm, I'm talking about these, this, uh, property of the English languages, because this directly impacts your ability to communicate with non-specialist audiences. Now, um, sentence complexity is is related directly to reading level, and that is, that is part of it. That the more complex sentences, the the more difficult it is to read. Uh, just just from you know not looking at content, but just the physical act of reading, the more complexity, the, the harder it is to read. And that's why if you look at materials prepared for, say, a second or third grade reader, it's all simple sentences, you know, C-spot, C-spot run, et cetera, et cetera. And then you add more complex sentences, uh, compound complex sentences, compounded sentences, the, the, the reading level goes up. Um, and and this is important to keep in mind when communicating with a non-specialist audience that is essentially citizens. So a lot of the folks that come to my seminars or my webinars um, have are you know civil engineers, and oftentimes they you know they do highway projects. So an important group of stakeholders for that kind of a project is you know citizens, right? Uh, taxpayers, people who have cars. Uh, and, and when communicating to that group, it's important to, to think just in very broad terms about reading level. And uh, the way I like to put it is, you know, we, we are guaranteed in this country a free education up to the 12th grade. So that is, that is a good uh, place to pitch your communication. Uh, is, is that kind of 12th grade reading level. If you really are uh, involved in a government project where you're, you're communicating with citizens, 
um, then you want to, and that, that would be, you know, compound sentences are fine. Some complex sentences are fine. Um, but, but you don't, you know, you want to break that up with simple sentences. Uh, and you want to ask yourself, uh, you know, if I gave this to, uh, you know, a high school student, would they struggle to, and, and a typical high school student, not a bright high school student who may be interning in your office because, you know, they're, uh, they're off to MIT for college or something like that. But, but a typical high school student, would they struggle with this? That's where you want to pitch those messages if you, um, again, are dealing with the general public. And that, and that is the first aspect of sentence complexity is that it is the simple act of reading. Now, there's another aspect to that. I want to pull back and think about what that complexity does. Why, why do we have, uh, you know, compound or compound complex senses? Well, those types of formations tend to exist in expert texts <clears throat> that are written for other experts. And so part of it is that when you are an expert in anything, you probably have an advanced degree or a, a similar level of experience in the industry that you happen to be in, and you're, you're actually a pretty good reader. Uh, you, you know, reading impacts everything, uh, and, and the more expertise you have, the more you, you, know, you read difficult documents. So, so that, that's part of it. But the reason you're reading that, those difficult sentences, is that experts like nuance, experts like qualification, Experts don't don't want the surface of the subject. They want to get deeply into the subject. And so you're you're qualifying yourself and you're saying, you know, under these conditions or you're saying, uh, you know, you're, 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 you know, bringing very complex ideas together. And this is great for working with experts. Uh, that's that's how experts communicate with each other. Uh, you know, and if I if I showed you this. <laughs> There is a, a literary theorist out there that is uh, trained, one of the people who trained me, who has, is famous for writing a, a page long sentence, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, we, I had to unpack that in graduate school and that was fine. I was in, in graduate school in English. Um, but when you're dealing with non-experts, no matter what their education level, no matter what their reading level, no matter how well they're, they're able to, to unpacked sentences, you know, if they were sat down and, and you know, tested on, on their reading level, they don't want to read <laughs> complex information in unfamiliar subjects. Um, you know, we have a division of labor in society, and, and so people specialize in things. Someone becomes a surgeon, someone becomes a civil engineer, someone becomes an airline pilot, someone becomes an English professor, and on and on. And so we get deep into our own, uh, you know, knowledge base for our profession, and we expect other professionals to explain things simply to us. So if you're in a situation where you're dealing with uh, an audience that does not have your background, you may want to consider using simple sentences to explain the high points of the document. Um, and these simple declarative sentences, uh, you know, <clears throat> show the way something is, right? It's, it's very, it's very clear. It's very unambiguous. 
even though there's a lot more going on underneath the surface, all that non-expert audience wants to get is the big picture. Right. Mark, I've got a question about yeah. sentence length and, and complexity. Um, is there a, a relationship or should we be concerned about the language that we're using if we're using technical terminology that our audience might not be familiar with? Should that in, influence in the, yeah. us and to maybe use simpler, shorter sentences? That is that is also part of it um, that that, you know, it's it's jargon, of course, is is just insider, uh, you know, shortcuts. A jargon word uh, is a shortcut for a concept. So if I say, uh, you know, potentiometer and this is an I, <laughs> electrical engineers have made fun of my potentiometer discussion, but it does control the, the amount of electricity flowing for circuit, right? Um, it's easier to write or to say potentiometer than a device that controls the amount of electricity flowing through circuit. Um, so in a way, jargon words are good if your audience knows what they are. If your audience does not know the jargon word, then it will just confuse them. And that's that's a key thing here to think about when when you're when you're writing for others, people outside of your discipline, nobody likes to be confused. And it's probably worse the more educated a person is, you know, someone who is a surgeon has gone through years of school and taken very academically challenging classes. They're not dumb people, but they may not understand environmental engineering or architecture or electrical engineering. You know, they just they didn't study it. Um, they could have, but that didn't happen. So you're just as likely to lose that audience as you are to lose someone who reads at an 11th grade level and genuinely struggles because nobody likes to feel. So when you're using jargon, you you make you consider two things. First, is there an equivalent word that that is out there in common usage that your audience will know? You use that. If there isn't, then maybe you teach your audience what that word means in, in, the, in the introductory uh, moment in your writing. And you can even say, you know, depending on who you're writing to, if you're writing to a client, let's say, well, let's slide into the email discussion. If you're writing to a client, uh, in, in, in one of the first emails you say, you could say, now, you know, dear client, um, I'm going to be using the word potentiometer a lot in this uh, email, and I this this is what it means. Forgive me if you already know, but I, other clients have found it helpful that if I define the terms, then they learn the term, and, they, and then you get to take the shortcut, and you're not uh, you're not losing them because again, I don't know what this word means. I'm getting nervous. I'm out of my depth. I'm I'm out of here. Did that, did that answer your question, Liz? Yeah, you did. I I think um, I wonder about that when I'm communicating with people in uh, via email because you can't you don't you can't see their body language. You can't see if if they're confused by something. Um, you you are just sending off your email and you don't really have the opportunity to see if you are connecting on the right level. Yeah, and that's um, it's much more likely. 
uh, or I'm sorry, it's unlikely that someone is going to email you back and say, hey, this word confused me. So, some people do, um, but but that's unlikely. So I think it's it's better with an audience where you know, even if, you know, sometimes there are multiple audiences. Sometimes you're talking to a client and a regulator, and the regulator may have your training exactly and know exactly what you're talking about, and the client doesn't. Um, if anyone, if a significant member of that audience may not understand the term you use, and you're going to use it a lot, it's a teaching moment, define the term, make sure you're tactful, and, and make some kind of disclaimer along the lines of, you, you may be familiar with this, but a lot of my clients aren't, and I find it's just less confusing if I define it from the jump. Um, and then, yeah, because Liz, you're absolutely right, you cannot, you cannot read their body language and you cannot um, see a confused look on their face or see them backing away or, or something like that. So, um, and, and one more question I, okay. I had um, regarding uh, terminology and in email and so forth. Um, if we are going to be using terms that our audience might be unfamiliar with and we we explain them uh, a little bit then we can after that kind of assume that they understand that term and then we can kind of go on from there so that sounds like a good strategy yep. to use yeah um, and, and I wouldn't overuse it but I would I would focus on terms that you know are kind of core terms that if, if you're going to be uh, you know, if you're going to have a structural engineer come and look at your house, these are the terms you need to know, <laughs> you know, not not the entire like dictionary of, of structural engineering jargon. You don't need to present them with that. So you want to engage you want to engage them and not not to, to frighten them off yes. or to turn them off. Yes. Yes. Because um, because nobody nobody likes to be out of their depth. And I, I, it's it's kind of amazing to me that when I get introduced to people in social situations, like a neighborhood party or something like that, and everyone kind of backs away from me. Oh, you're you're going to openly correct my grammar. You're you're an English professor, and no, I'm not. But but that, that I mean I think that just kind of shows that we all we're all aware of our depth, and we're all aware of when we're out of it. So yes, you want to make sure that you want to act as you're, you're, you're the guide, you're the tactful, friendly guide to your client through this new um, realm of knowledge that they're not familiar with, but that they are certainly smart enough to understand it. And that, that also is what you do when you define the term is you're, you're kind of saying, you know, I know, you know you're paying a, an implicit compliment to their intelligence. You know, you, you can understand this, you just haven't had time to think about it before now. Oh. Another question I have with technical information that you're communicating via email, how do you know what information is maybe too much to try to communicate in a single email? Well, um, I think <laughs> one, one way to approach this in terms of the amount of information is to remember that non-experts just want the big bullet point. And if they want more, they'll ask. Uh, there are there are uh, sort of theories of information that is essentially say that that experts um, want to know 
you know, how the knowledge was obtained, what the knowledge means for the profession, um, how does the knowledge interact with previous knowledge, uh, how can I, you know, uh, uh, assess the knowledge. And an expert and a non-expert simply wants to know how it's going to impact them. And one of the examples I use in, in my seminars is, uh, you know, that um, high-speed rail trains use, use superconductivity. And my, my dad, uh, in, during his career, he's a PhD physicist and he, he was a solid state physicist. He did work with superconductivity. And I, I learned as a teenager to be very careful asking him questions about, about superconductivity because, you know, if I asked, I might as well just sit down and put my feet up because I'd be there for 45 minutes because dad was very passionate about solid state physics. And that was, you know, his, his dissertation was on aspects of that. Um, but, but what someone, so someone doesn't really, who wants to know about high-speed rail doesn't want to have Wayne Decker sit him down, you know, and explain, you know, every last possible thing about superconductivity. They just want to know the basics of how it works. And they're way more interested in what's going to happen. That, yeah, now the train can go 200 miles an hour because it's actually floating on an electromagnetic cushion above the rails and it's very smooth. Oh, okay, right. It's, it's not so much how, and it's not so much why, but it's what does this do for me? So when you're, when you're emailing client to keep things brief, focus on what it's going to do for them, what, or if there's an immediate practical concern, and then always offer to, to give more information. I mean, you can, and, and you know, people are different and some people will want more information, but the default setting with a non-expert audience is always, what does this mean for me right now? If you answer that question, you should be fine. That's very helpful. Um, I think if you keep, if I would keep that in mind, then, um, that email is kind of like a conversation. It's not uh, an immediate conversation back and forth where you can uh, get immediate feedback, but to keep that in mind that who your audience is, what they need to know, and what might be too much information, and what uh, if you have to hone it down, what's what are they really interested in? Yeah, and you know you you know your clients. So I'm, I'm talking about generic client or other, you know, generic stakeholder who's not an expert. Um, so, so my advice would, would obviously be adjusted to the individual that you're dealing with, because as Liz points out, it is a conversation. That's, that's the difference between an email and a, uh, something that's in memo format, a paper memo or a, an attached electronic memo. That, that's designed to end the conversation. Right, that that phrase, um, that cliche phrase, did you get the memo, uh, points to memo's ability to kind of shut things down. Hey, we've made a decision, here it is, it's in the memo. Um, email is a conversation, and knowing that it's a conversation leads you to think of the actual people that you're talking to, and then, and then tailor the message for them. Great. Um- so we've talked a little bit about sentence complexity and we've talked about audience. Now you mentioned two different um, audiences for an email. Can you go more into that and, and how we might think about that when we're uh, putting our, an email together or deciding co- to communicate via email? 
Well, we we always think in terms of of the rhetorical situation, which I won't go into that piece of jargon other than to point out we think about plausible audiences, plural. And you can have a complex audience that is your intended audience. These are the people that you want to talk to. As, as I said, it could be a client and a regulator, and you may be dealing with a difference in training between the regulator and the client, and you need to navigate that. Sometimes there's an unintended audience. Uh, in other words, there's an audience for uh, your document that, you know, not the people that you want to read it necessarily, but others will seek it out. Um, I, I did some uh, sort of on-site, or well, I, I Zoomed because of the pandemic, but I was working with a specific site. Uh, it was a government agency, uh, did this through Half Moon, and this government agency was, uh, you know, we, in the course of my presentation to them, since it was just them, we, we, we talked about their specific issues, and they noted that they felt like their communication was always misinterpreted by environmentalists and that they were actually much more aligned with the environmentalists in terms of goals than the environmentalists would care to admit. But but they would, um, you know, uh, create a message and they felt like the environmentalists would take it and twist it around. Now, that may not be your exact situation, but as part of your analysis of, of the audience scenario that you're facing, you should take in, into consideration likely unintended and hostile audiences because if you know you need to ask yourself that question what what would happen if this particular audience got a hold of this piece of communication and if you're a, if your government agency um you know there there are laws that allow people to to discover that information um and, you know things can be leaked um and so if if that unintended audience has informational needs, um, then maybe you meet them. And that was part of the conversation I had with this, this government agency uh, was essentially, well, is, would, it, would, it, would it harm your communication if you, you know, also put information in there that would maybe diffuse the anger of the unintended audience? You know, if you defined a few more terms or set things out in a different way, could you still meet the needs of your intended audience uh, while not giving ammunition to your unintended audience? And that's that's great advice because things get shared. You don't have any or any um you don't have any control over what happens to your email once you send it. No, and and there there are you know there are security measures that you can take to an extent, um, but now that documents are electronic, it's it's very easy to to circulate them, and I don't I don't mean that you know you, you shouldn't approach this with paranoia like well someone might see this, you're fine if you can't come up with the someone you're probably fine, but if if there is a someone. Oh, well, this particular environmental group that is actually suing us, you know, I read this and this is the hobby horse that they ride. Okay, think about that because once that email goes out, they can, you know, they can take it and run with it. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely an issue, even within an organization. Um, 
I know sometimes I've sent out an email and or replied to an email and um, I have to ask myself who in the organization do I want to reach with this or do I is there anyone else who needs this information besides the person that I've addressed the email to and um, sometimes I'm not sure if I should be addressing an email to multiple people or if I should just address it to one person and copy other people in, that affects how you write your email sometimes. Yeah, and, and that's that there's not a, a an easy rule of thumb here, though of uh, thinking through it and thinking through the way that the message is delivered. Um, when when you copy people, you know, make sure that you can explain why every single person has been copied. Uh, you know, and this this in my workplace too, there, there's a time to uh, copy people in the registrar's office and there's a time not to, because they're very busy and they don't need 500 emails from me. Um, but if I'm changing location of a class, they, they need to know that. Um, and so, you know, you copy people, if you can kind of finish this sentence, I am copying this person because, and if you can finish that sentence, copy them. That is, you know, one of the one of the interesting things about email to me is that, of course, you can send it to everyone, but everyone does not want to read your email. So you can get into a sort of lazy habit of it. It's not it's not like you have to physically deliver a piece of paper by hand. It's very easy to just send it to someone else. But then, you know, you're clogging people's boxes and you're maybe sending information to a place it, it, it shouldn't go because people can always forward emails. There's no, you know, there's no, especially within a, within an organization, I think the expectation of, of a sort of privacy goes out the window. You know, you forward it to them, they can forward it to somebody else. That's, that's a good point. Uh, you, you can forward, do the forwarding or you can, um, you can decide who to copy and then, um, but somebody else is going to make that decision too. Your recipient can make that decision. Um, Mark, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, but unbelievably, we've uh, we've been talking for about a half an hour now, and uh, we've really I've learned some things that are going to help me the next time I sit down to write an email. I'm sure that our listeners are going to feel the same way. And uh, are these things that you're going to cover some of this information? Are you going to talk about emails at your upcoming uh, program on technical writing in December? Yeah, I, I put it in the context of, of correspondence in general, and I, I kind of uh, expand on the difference between emails and, and memos and letters. And, and of course, you can send a, me a letter electronically, so the, so the genre or the the fact that it's a letter still matters, even if you may not be stamping it and putting it in the UPS, uh, uh, you know, mailbox. Well, great. And and uh, if people are interested in attending your webinar, too, another advantage is uh, that they're going to be able to communicate directly with you. So if they've got questions about their writing, a piece of writing, an audience, um, you're going to be able to talk to them directly about something that they might be having an issue with like you were talking about the government agency that you worked with. 
Yes, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I love that part of the of my uh, my job here is that I get to hear what real technical professionals are, are dealing with as they communicate with others. Sounds great. Uh, something to look forward to. And that'll be taking place in December. And Mark, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back. Um, much more, many more things to talk about with communications and technical communication. So thank you so much for your time.